Okay, Rabbi Say, welcome to Poland, where the where the welcome to Poland, Rabbi Say. First of all, you guys made it. it's incredible. You guys worked hard. It wasn't easy to get here, and uh, it's going to be something incredible. It's going to be an amazing experience. We are in a country where the ground is soaked with blood, with Yiddish blood. And I want to just mention a couple of points. Why did we do this trip? This is not just a, a trip that focuses on history and our past, but it also focuses on the future. Why does it focus on the future? Because I hope that in each place that we visit, whether it's the tzaddikim that we go to, or it's the Mekoymas that people were most nefesh and gave their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem, there's a message. There's always a message for the future. There's always a message for our own lives as well. And we hope to take that into consideration and hopefully take that into our own lives. As the Kalavar Rebbe Zatzal said over, it's impossible for anyone to put into words the extent of what happened on the Holocaust. Not even a portion of it can be described in, in any way, shape, or form. And we take this trip specifically because the chizuk that a person can get from this trip, if you tap in to the places that we're going to be and you listen to some of the stories of the tzaddikim that we're going to be visiting and the stories of the poshut yidin that live their lives with so much mysterious nefesh, so much emun and the rabbi shalom, it's so inspiring. But we have to tap into that. So that's what we're doing here and I beg of every single one of you, take an opportunity, take the opportunities to be in these places, to listen to the, the speeches that we're going to be hearing, concentrate, close your eyes, envision, relive, understand to some tiny, small degree what maybe they went through. And we can implement that in our lives. I'd like to give you just a couple of the ideas before we move on to our next destination. The Holocaust, as we know, is a story of mass extermination. And although there are incredible, inspiring stories of Yidin that lived with amazing Amunah and Hashem, as we just said, doing things like starving on a daily basis, not to eat treif, not to have to eat chomets, to go days and days without food, to put tefillin on, what they went through was amazing. And those inspiring stories we'll speak about. But for a moment, let's understand that that exactly is not the reality of the Holocaust. And that's really not the focus in so many places. You know, we think of the Holocaust as something that took about six years, which is, that is the reality from the start of World War II to the end of World War II was in fact six years. But if you count the years that Hitler, Yamak Shemoy, was in power, so it was another six years before that, so you could even say it was for 12 years. I just want to bring to your attention the reality of what happened in this country. The reality is actually much, much, much sadder than that. The thrust of the Holocaust probably happened in a much smaller time frame from February 1942. 20% of the 6 million Yidin that were killed in the entire Holocaust were already killed in just one time by February 1942. Just in March 1942, 80% of those that would be killed, were still alive. 
But in March 1943, that's only 13 months later, the numbers were the opposite. 80% that would be killed were already killed, and 20% were alive. That means 60% of the 6 million Yidden that died in this country were killed within 13 months. Operation that happened over here, killing this amount of people in such a short time, was named Operation Reinhardt, which is named after one of the most terrible people, one of the worst people in SS Guard, Reinhard Heydrich, was one of the top of the uh, army. He was an architect. He was basically the architect and chief engineer of the SS and final solution. He was eventually assassinated by Czech partisans in March 1942. So the operation to wipe out the Yidden in Poland was named after him. Before the war, Poland was the center of Yiddish life, of Jewish life in the world. That means in Poland before the war, there were 3,300,000 Yidden. 90% were killed in the Holocaust. 3 million out of 3,300,000. That means that 50% of the Jews killed in the whole Holocaust were Polish Jews, all within about one year. Now, you have to understand as well that although there's the concentration camps that we'll be visiting and we're talking about, I'm sure, and hearing so much about, of the striped uniforms, the SS guards, all the barbed wire and everything else, there were also death camps. Death camps, four of them in total, there was no selections, there was no uniforms, there were just simple death. Almost no survivors. Very few accounts of those that survived the death camps. And between these four concentration camps, two million Jews were killed in these places. The workers in these death camps were called as the commanders. These were probably the worst job in human history to work in the gas chambers. Again, we'll talk about it. They saw everything. There were sometimes revolts. Just to give you an idea, Treblinka, which we're not going to see on this trip, was open for only 13 months. And those 13 months, 800,000 Jews were killed in the 13 months it was operational. Now, we say numbers as if it's nothing. Of course, each one is an oil mole, and I'm sure we'll mention some of the stories of those Yidden that were in these places. But one, one more fact before I tell you a story is that while Germany was putting Yidden to death across the country in 1939, between 1939 and 1945, Jews, this is an almost unknown fact to many people, some of which were high-ranking officers, actually served in Hitler's army. The Nuremberg Law, which was 1935-1936, defined as a Jew was if you had three or four Jewish grandparents. A half a Jew was someone with only two grandparents, which means halakhically he's probably not Jewish, but to the Nazis he was considered to be a Jew. Now, or at least half a Jew. Now, any one of these above categories was stripped of their German citizenship. Leading up to the war 1870 to 1930, at least 80,000 mixed marriages across um, all of Austria and Germany. So if you take about a quarter of a million, so half of them are Jews, so that means if half of those are boys, you've got 125,000 of them that could be Jewish. Article 7 allowed Hitler to free people of a label of being a Jew, and Hitler himself actually allowed several high-ranking officers that were Yidden to remain in his close-knit 
army, 21 generals, seven admirals. Not all of them were halachically Jewish, but half of them were considered to be half Jews under Nazi law. Germany was the home to Jews who had converted to Christianity voluntarily. They decided, that's it, we're not doing this anymore. We are converting to Christianity. Probably about 70,000 of them. Now, of course, they didn't, you know, they had no sheikhs to Yiddishkeit. They didn't consider themselves or view themselves to be Jews. But that was until the Nazis came into power. The Nazis didn't care if you sprinkled some water over yourself and that wasn't a reason to be saved. So tens of thousands of Yidden were deported. Warsaw Ghetto alone that we're going to go visit, 10,000 Jews that actually practiced Christianity were deported. And the tragedy of their deaths was that they had no reason why they were dying. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't, they didn't you know, live a Jewish life. And it was the first time in history that conversion did not actually save a Jew. Just to tell you, um, I said that the Kalavar Rebbe Zatzal said over about his experiences. And we'll end with that, this introduction. He said he was transferred at one, transferred one place, one time to the Warsaw Ghetto. There was no crematoria there, but there were men thrown alive into bonfires, particularly anyone that was worn down or could never work. Once there was a group of four men that was selected to be burned alive. And the Kalab Rebbe said, I was one of those four men selected to be burned alive. I said, Shema Yisrael, I thought I'm facing my last moment on this world. And he said, when he said over the story, it was 51 years later. I want to make clear, I had no doubts about the Rabboni Shlonim's justice, no complaints at all. I knew with a Munah Pshuta and a Munah Shlema that my fathers and their fathers imbued within me, that I was just giving my soul back to the one that gave it to me originally. But a miracle happened. And just then, the gate opened and a group of SS soldiers entered searching for men who were fit for work. In a momentary confusion, I said to the other three, let's run for it. They said, they'll shoot us. I said, and so what? If we stay, what's going to happen? We ran for shelter and with Hashem's mercy, we actually stayed alive. The Kalav Rebbe said over this about himself. That's how he was saved in the Warsaw Ghetto. He said, another story I remember when we arrived at the Warsaw Ghetto, we were terrified the first sight we saw was there, a, there was a row of Jews hanging from a gallows. This was arranged specifically in order to break our spirit. And he ends with one last thing, but neither can I forget when we were together with the Klosenberger Rebbe, Schosen Yugen Alenio, and there's hundreds of witnesses that saw what I write, that after a long day of back-breaking labor at the German factory where we'd been beaten and abused all day, we finally arrived back at the ghetto to have our longed-for daily slice of bread and little rest. Yet, what did we do? We ran straight away. We gave up the food, and we wanted to put our tefillin on. That's all he remembers. Rabbi said the story of the Holocaust is a sad one. It's difficult to contemplate. It's difficult to digest. But with all of that, there's so much beauty. There's so much emunah. There's so much Yiddishkeit that if we tap into, that is Hashem, we can ourselves get a tremendous chizek from that.